Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Daniel had been in exile for years. I always, as a kid, pictured Daniel as a young man when he was cast into the den of lions. But the fact is, he was probably in his 80s when he was thrown into the lion's den. (laughs) You ever thought about that? Have you ever realized that? He had been in exile for most of his life probably about 15 years old or so, give or take five years. And then he was uh, 40 years after Nebuchadnezzar dies, and he had been uh, a number of years before that. So it all adds up, and you you have him in his 80s. (laughs) Now, Daniel had been through a lot in those years, hadn't he? We go all the way back to Daniel chapter 1. As a young man, he's brought in, and he's going to be one of those special young men that have a chance to elevate themselves in the kingdom. But remember what happened? The whole, I can't eat that. (laughs) And he learned from an early age to trust God. He was willing to trust God and do things God's way. Uh, He had seen his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Thrown into the fiery furnace and kept safe. Now, over the years, Daniel had made a habit of prayer. Three times a day, he would turn toward Jerusalem and he would spend time in prayer. Now, why turn towards Jerusalem? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but part of it is he understood, eventually, we're going back there. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe not me. But our people are going back there because God promised it. One of the prophets has spoken, and it is so. As God has said it, so will it be. So he's turning to Jerusalem, and that's where the temple is, or was anyway. And he, in full faith, trusts God will restore. So he turns to Jerusalem. He prays three times a day, day after day after day after day. Now, during this time, he elevates himself in the kingdom. He faithfully serves those who had taken him into captivity. He is honest. He's straightforward. He does things well. And he is now risen to be one of the top in the entire kingdom. Uh, The Persians come in, they take out the Babylonians, that's kind of what's happened here. And the the Persians have a different way of doing things. The Persians, instead of trying to just put everybody under their thumb and make life miserable for them, they have a different tactic, a different strategy. They set up rulers who are going to watch over given lands, and then those rulers are accountable to them. Uh, But they want things to go on basically as normal for those people in those lands. But the understanding is, you know, you still have to pay your taxes. (laughs) So he sets up this whole system where he's got all of these under rulers, right? The satraps and such. And then they will be accountable to three men who are going to oversee those. So he doesn't have to deal with all of the administration stuff all the time. And Daniel happens to be one of those. And he's even ready to be elevated to being 
Number one, among those three. And the other, the other people in these positions look around and they say, well, we don't want Daniel there. What can we do to get rid of him so that we might have the chance to have that position? And they know there's nothing we can do that's going to trip him up because he's faithful. There's not going to be any complaint, any fault found in him. How can we do it? (laughs) There's only one way. We will use the law of his God against him and trap him by that. So, they say, we shall find no, not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So they say, he's so devoted to his God. Well, we'll just see about that. They go to, to the king and they say, oh, King Darius, live forever. They butter him up. They tell him how great he is. They say, you should sign this so that nobody could pray to any god or man except to you for the next 30 days because you're so awesome. And Darius is like, I am pretty awesome. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. And he signs it. And as expected, these men go and they find Daniel doing what they knew he would do. In fact, I I, I love verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and three times a day he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. (laughs) It wasn't ignorance of the law. He knew, didn't he? And he said, I don't care. This is Peter in Acts. We must obey God rather than men, right? So he goes back to his house three times a day, just like he had done day after day after day after day after day. I I do have to stop and wonder now if this kind of a law went into place for us. Okay, people would be up in arms, but... How many of us would be convicted by it if we weren't changing our habits? (laughs) How many of us would be convicted by it other than Sunday morning or maybe Wednesday night, right? Would they be able to say, huh, well, we got you because we've seen how you are faithful in your prayers to God. Well, Daniel was. He prayed as he had done previously. They spring the trap. They bring the news to the king. And you notice how they do this? They don't come and say, hey, Daniel did this. What did they first say? Hey, didn't you say, didn't you sign this law that says nobody can do this? And he's like, yeah, that's right. Well, this this Daniel, one of the exiles from Jerusalem, he's been doing this. I like that they call him an exile from Jerusalem, like that happened in the last couple years or something. Like, oh, he just got here from there. He's been there for like 60 years, right? (laughs) It's not like he's new. Now, at this point, the king is trapped. And and as a kid, I always wondered, well, this is kind of stupid. You're the king. Just do what you want to do. But of course... 
it doesn't work that way, does it? When you start to understand how tenuous his hold is over everything, he's got to play this political game. And if he starts going back on his word, uh, you see the Medes and the Persians. Well, this is a uniting of two and pretty easily things can be split. And he's not up for that. So even though he wants to, he can't figure out a way to get Daniel off. And so finally, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. But listen to the king. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. A little different attitude than Nebuchadnezzar back with the three men and the fiery furnace, isn't it? Remember how that went down? He got all mad, had the furnace pumped up with more heat, and says, Throw him in there, right? Here, Darius is regretful of it. Man, I hate having to do this. May your God protect you. Different attitude between the Persians and the uh, Babylonians. Well, the stone is laid over the den. They, They lower him down. They lay this stone over it. And then the king has it sealed with his signet ring. Why? Because that way nobody can mess with it. The king still has an idea that the God of Daniel might deliver him. And so he seals this so that nobody can sneak in in the middle of the night and kill him and make sure that he doesn't get delivered from the lions. Well, that night he goes and he prays. And he fasts, and in the morning, in the morning, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Notice what he calls Daniel's God. The living God. The living God. Now, why the living God? It's not a God of stone or wood. It's not an idol that is to be worshipped, but the living God who is. This is actually pretty good theology on the part of, uh, of the king. He understands the God of Daniel is the God who was and is and is to come. And we'll get more on the idea of the living God as we get to to Easter, too, won't we? But he cries out and he asks if if Daniel has been saved. And Daniel says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths and they have not harmed me. Just like it was with those three men in the fiery furnace, here's The angel of the Lord, right there. And Daniel is untouched. Completely safe. Now, we don't want to press this too far to the point of saying, well, if you're faithful to God, then nothing will ever harm you. (laughs) 
Well, we see that in the early church, that there are those who were martyred for the faith. They were faithful, but they were martyred for the faith. But we also don't want to say, well, God can't save. Yeah, he can. If he wants to, he will. And nothing can stop it. But if he doesn't, he's going to use that martyrdom as a way of testifying to the truth so that others hear it and others can come to faith. And what's the worst that they can do to us? Kill us? Well, okay, fine. We'll go to be with the Lord. And then resurrection life. So you didn't really succeed in killing us now, did you? (laughs) Daniel is kept alive by God. I love the, has your God been able to rescue you? Yeah, our God is able. That's what Easter's about, isn't it? That's what we're looking forward to celebrating, the reality that our God is able. Neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we live in confidence. We live with a confident hope. Daniel was not in the circumstances that you would desire, really. He's in exile, serving the people who took him into exile for most of his life. And now here comes a new power, and he now is serving that power. You wouldn't really envy being in that position. And yet he does so faithfully, and he does so with hope. That's why he kept turning back to Jerusalem to pray. Because he understood what God has promised, God will deliver. And so there's never any sense of, well, I'm defeated. They tried to defeat him again and again and again and again. But he kept looking to the Lord, and in the Lord there is victory. In the Lord there is hope. He was willing to suffer for the faith. To pay a price for the truth. It's not easy to do, is it? Today I uh, just happened to come across an article that ties in perfectly with Daniel. About a a young woman who had her whole life wanted to play basketball for the University of North Carolina. It was her goal. She worked at it, worked at it, and worked at it, and worked at it. And finally, she was able to achieve it. She was on the basketball team at the University of North Carolina. She was playing for the team she had always dreamed to play for. Her coach was a Christian who supported her in her faith. And then her coach retired. And a new coach came in. And the new coach brought in some things and said, hey, here's what we're going to be about as a team. Here's things we're going to be supporting as a team. And she said, I can't do that. It's contrary to my faith. It's contrary to the word of God. I can't do it. And she resigned from the team. She gave that up. Because her faith was more important than her status on the basketball team. She was willing to suffer that, the loss of this dream... To do what's right. It's hard to do, isn't it? That's exactly what Daniel did. Was willing to do. It's what we're called to. Deny yourselves. Take up your cross. And follow me. 
Will it be difficult? Yeah. But will it be the way of blessing? No doubt. Because the God who is able is the God we serve. He delivered Daniel. He'll deliver us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.